Welcome to Emotional Savvy, the Relationship Help Show. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. If you're ready to increase your confidence in conversations and conflict, deepen your self-awareness, expand your connectedness, and enrich your relationship with yourself and other humans you care about, and even those you wish you didn't, you're in the right place. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to this episode. Very different today. We're going to be talking about men. That's something that we haven't done exclusively very often. So we're going to do that today. And um, my guest is Robert Kandel. He's going to be talking about something that's dear and near to his heart, which is bringing conscious sexuality to the mainstream market. And he's written a book called Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. And it's going to be um, available for you. So that's exciting. And we're going to be thinking about a few things about men. We're going to start gently, though. We're going to talk about what is really separating us in this world. What are kinds of things that are getting in the way of our having healthy relationships? Relationships where we pay attention to each other. We're curious about each other. Maybe even we look at each other. I mean, how many times have you seen a couple or a whole family out in a restaurant, supposedly enjoying each other's company, but everybody's on their cell phones. So we're going to be talking about that. And what do these phones really do to our culture? And how is it changing the dynamic between men and women? Um, Robert has some ideas that men are dropping off. um, And they are, are withdrawing. So he's going to talk about that for a bit. And one of the things that he says in his book is men are acting more like boys and women more like men. He says our inability to interact with a powerful modern woman causes us to give up and just play video games and watch porn. Whoa, so that's quite a bit to be said. How can we have honest relationships when, in his opinion, men are dropping off? And what can we do about that? So those are very, very important things. And uh, he's going to give us a seven-step framework to change a habit that should be helpful. And what women can do to encourage men to speak about their anger and what's really going on for them. So that's a lot, so much to talk about. I think that we have uh, a lot of questions. I'm sure you do. Once you start listening to this interview, you'll have more questions. And we need to be having these conversations. Women, we need to be having conversations with our men, men with our women. In fact, generally, we need to be conversing more. We get too much into the day-to-day. We get into the routine. We get into the rush. We get into the busyness. And we fail to realize that our support is in having great conversations with each other. And if you don't know how to have great conversations with each other, let's talk. I can help you. 
I see people from all over the world by video conferencing, and I'm always happy to help you talk better together, to become curious, to not be afraid of conversations or conflict, because sometimes we don't talk to one another because we're just afraid that we'll get into an argument, and I don't like that. So better to leave it alone and just be busy. And then we have the other side of that, which I've spoken of before, which is the people who think that the answer to conflict is the silent treatment. And I hope you all know by now that that is the answer to nothing. The silent treatment is something that happens within a relationship that is ongoing. That's very different than going no contact with a difficult person. No contact is when you are not living in the same house. You are not intending to continue a relationship. The silent treatment is just a mark of fear and power. Wanting to have power over someone so you don't speak to them or avoiding possible confrontation by just not starting a conversation. Neither one of those are really good. So we also want to talk today with Robert about how we live a little bit hidden And we use social media facades to show our best self. And maybe we make ourselves up a little better than we are on social media. And so we hide our shadow selves and how we interact with our smartphones more than our intimate friends and partners. So good things for you today. Remember, I'm always here to help you at For Relationship Help. If you want more and you want me to answer your questions individually, join us over at my optimized circles. You'll find that at forrelationshiphelp.com slash circles or go to my YouTube channel. Yes, you guessed it. The name of my YouTube channel is For Relationship Help. So stay tuned as we talk to Robert Candell and hear what he has to say. Very interesting things about what goes on between men and women. Stay tuned. Hello, I'm so glad you're joining us. If this is your first time, you're especially welcome. And if you've been joining us all along or you haven't watched all our episodes or listened to all our episodes, I truly invite you to do that. All my wonderful guests, including my guest today, really bring something different, unique, and new to the topics that we discuss. And I want you to have the benefit of all of that. So please tell your friends if you're enjoying it. If you really love it, go and write a review for us so that other people will hear that it's a good idea to listen. So today we have a new guest. His name is Robert Candell, and we're going to talk about men. We're going to talk about smartphones. We're going to talk about social media. We're going to do something, as I said, completely different. So welcome to the program, Robert. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. It's fun for us to have you, and I'm going to tell everybody a little bit about what Robert wants you to know. So Mm -hmm. Robert Kandel is hailed as part football coach, part loving dad, and part slightly crazed drill sergeant. Mm -hmm. He has spent the last 20 years helping people re-energize their lives and build better relationships and sex through more honest and authentic connection and communication. After building a successful consulting company in San Francisco, he then took his business acumen and founded One Taste, which is orgasmic meditation. See why we've got so much to talk with him about? I know, I know. (laughs) Taking on the challenge of bringing sexual, conscious sexuality to the marketplace. Mm 
another thing to talk about. So he left One Taste in 2014, started his own company, Candell Consulting, and helps businesses become more marketable and profitable. So he's an accomplished coach, obviously. We heard that. He's a lecturer. He does all kinds of workshops. And he is now an enthusiastic and passionate host of his podcast, Tough Love. So once again, welcome. We've got so much to talk about. Tell us what you're most excited about right now. I'm uh, about five weeks shy. Uh, depends on when you listen to this. It actually might be the day. Uh, but my first book is coming out on December 6, 2018. It's called Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. And i am got the cover today. So, you know, it's my first time author. So I got the cover, uh, doing the final line edit. So it's a really exciting time. Yes, I remember that time. It is exciting. The first book is all so brand new mm -hmm. and so concrete, finally. All your ideas that have been running around in your head, you finally organized them and sat down. And You know, people often ask me, and you can add to this, Robert, what's the success successful author have to do to bring a book from an idea to uh, fruition? And I always say you have to be willing to put your fanny on the fabric often enough. <laughs> you know, it's a question of sitting down and actually doing the task. What do mm. you say? Definitely. Uh, I read a book called Deep Work by mm. a researcher named Cal Newport. And it really is about having regular scheduled. It's about turning off all distractions. It's about focal time. And I just had a very um, well, a discipline around it. And I had some great help, and it was really an epic adventure to produce it. It is fun. Yeah. And each time it gets a little easier. Oh, that's good to know. That's <laughs> yes. good to know. Well, there's so much to learn in the beginning. So if any of you out there are thinking about writing a book, there's a couple of hints for you. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, just simply put your fanny on the fabric, make yourself write frequently. And then you have to learn all the good little pieces about how to bring it to market, what it could look like, what it should look like, and what to do to make it marketable and profitable. So those are exciting things, but that's not what we're here to talk mm -hmm. about today. We're here to talk about love in all its forms and relationships and all the things that can happen in a relationship. And I was really interested in the fact you send a little note along about our smartphones. Mm. Not so long ago, I was in New York and I was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And here I am, Robert, in this beautiful, huge uh, Greco-Roman hall. And there are artifacts, you know, thousands of years old. And I took a photograph of three young people sitting on a bench, each of them independently glued to their phone. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make myself think that they were looking into the artifacts and mm -hmm. they were looking it up. Nope. I don't think they were. Nope. So I think that we, we put on a bit of a false front with that and we also hide from the world. What do you think? I think it's become a constant companion. I think it's become a friend. You know, we, I think it's, a, it's a, against loneliness. And there are significant studies that show every time you get a message or a like on a Facebook, there's a hit of dopamine. Mm. So it's the pleasure receptor actually gets hit. And so we're constantly going to our phone, pulling out of our pocket, pulling out of our purse, and seeing because we want that hit right. of dopamine of acceptance and connection. And, and while I understand the need for it, I think it's really having us avoid 
seeing the beauty of the world, seeing those amazing uh, artifacts, or really just reaching out, even at a dinner table, like I watch couples all the time, you know, with their phones and not talking to each other. And it's, it really is an epidemic, I believe, of um, pretty, pretty massive proportions of decreasing intimacy and relating in today's world. Well, I certainly agree with you. And I also think that there's a potential, Robert, for people to enhance their false front. They can pretend to be who they want someone to believe they are. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that does much for increasing intimacy in our world, emotional intimacy or otherwise. Do you? Well, it's it's creating what I called um, optimized social media profiles. This is really the, the kernel. The whole book was this one sentence. A book coach caught it and said, oh, that's really good. You should write a book. And then we came up with the word hidden. And it came from there. But really what we're doing is throughout history, we've worn costumes, hair, fabrics, feathers, boas as a way to enhance our looks, to attract the attention of the people we want attention from. And now what we have is we have optimized social media profiles. We have different ways to bring out our best parts. And while I understand the the motivation behind it, what often we don't do is show our negative parts. And it creates a chasm of intimacy because people will look at each other's optimized social media profiles and think, oh, they've got it made or everything looks great in their relationship or they have all the money they need. Meanwhile, the whole dark side of their world is not being shown. And I think it creates a bigger chasm of reality and a bigger chasm of connection. And in that, you know, intimacy is going. There are studies that uh, children have, or young adults really is a better way of saying it, young adults have a higher quantity of connection through social media, but a significantly lesser quality of connection. And from that, uh, people are really losing the ability to deeply connect with other human beings. Mm -hmm. Well, I think so, because particularly in the form of texting, like I I teach negotiation at the University of Texas in the MBA program. Hmm. And what I tell my students is you have to be so careful with an email Mm-hmm. or a text because there are no emotional cues there's absolutely no way to know what the other person emphasized or the mood they were in or mm-hmm. the way they were speaking and so we get into these places where things become super ambiguous you send a text to someone and you are completely at their mercy of how they they receive it, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with how you sent it right mm-hmm. well i I teach communication courses, and there are several main caveats that come across. And the first one is that the responsibility of the communication is on the communicator. I agree. So what we tend to do is akin to we tend to open our front door, we take the message, make it into a paper airplane, and throw it at the person across the street. And then we close the door, and we're like, okay, we're done. You know, text sent. My mission is complete. My responsibility is done. And then from that, like you said, there's so much um, opportunity for connotation, for intonation, for intention to be missed. When I teach communication courses, I teach it like you open the front door, you walk down the path, you cross the street, you go into their yard, you walk up their front yard, you knock on the door, you knock. 
you wait till they open. They open the door. You hand them the message. You make eye contact. And then they say, got it. And only at that point is your responsibility complete. Now, of course, with text messages, this could take a second or you know, 15 or 20 seconds. But the point is there is that we are not taking full responsibility for our communications. Well, I agree. And I teach communication as well. And one of the things that I make the distinction is, and I think we're in total agreement here, which is communication and communicating are two different things. Mm -hmm. So I can send a communication as you were speaking of a text message or an email, but whether or not it communicated what I was trying to be communicating has total a chance of being right or wrong or somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. So I fully agree with you that we have to take responsibility for landing the message that we sent. Mm -hmm. And many people don't do that. They, they speak in shorthand. Of course, now we've got all that text messaging, uh, little icon acronyms and all mm -hmm. those things. So we're not even bothering to write to each other. You know, I find that just so lacking in the potential for intimacy, even with friends. I mean, you're, you're just not having that conversation. And I know that there will be young people who will be immediately say, Oh, that's ridiculous, but it isn't ridiculous. You can't have depth in communication and depth in relationships unless you're actually willing to spend time. And so I think this relates to the man-woman conversation mm -hmm. a great deal. So I'd like to move into that because a couple of the things that you sent in your notes to me, I love this. So let's jump off from this point. Okay. Men are acting more like boys, women more like men. Mm -hmm. So what's that about? Well, there's been a pretty epic evolution of man-woman dynamics in the last 50 years in terms of economic there's things like Me Too. There's things like schooling changes. If you look at the statistics, there are significant statistics that show that the dynamics between men and women are changing. For example, in the 1980s, uh, women to men's wage gap was 60 cents for a woman to a man's dollar. Now millennial women entering the workforce in 2012 was 93 cents to a man's dollar. So what's happening is changing. And, and while I am such a huge fan of when it comes to uh, women uh, stepping up and having these opportunities and growing and finding their power, I mean, I'm, I'm 100%. Men are tending to not step up to the challenge. Men are mm -hmm. tending to slip in terms of giving up. Uh, there's a book called Hannah Rosen called The End of Men, which is a very uh, dramatic title, but actually shows a lot of the details of men just sort of giving up and moving to video games or sex dolls or, or porn, uh, really going into video games rather than relating. There's whole demographics in Japan of men under 30 called herbivores who are not engaging, engaging. with the opposite. So what I'm seeing is that men are tending more to act like boys and women are filling the void, moving into corporate America, going more into their masculinity, uh, masculinity and femininity being not man-woman, but different parts of our right. psyches. Mm -hmm. Women entering more into their masculinity, taking over things, and there's this big gap that's existing for men and women to relate in positive and nurturing and um, optimized forms. 
Whoa, that's big. I agree. I've read all those, not all of those, but I've certainly mm. read about all those things. And why do you think it is that men went from power and running the world in this generalized sense of being ahead of women all the time? And when they can't do that, why do they go to cave? What do you think's going on with that? Why do they just withdraw, retreat, and fall off the, the edge of the earth? Anger. Um, Michael Kimmel in the book, uh, Angry White Man, calls it entitled um, aggravation. I'm sorry, aggrieved entitlement. So it's really they just believe that they're entitled. Like women are coming to take my job is something he talks about. Mm-hmm. And it's we just believe men just have been taught the scripts. It's not men and boys' fault. It's the society that we were trained in and taught. And so there's this entitlement. And when we don't get what we want, instead of being like, huh, I wonder why I'm not getting that job. Or, huh, I wonder I'm not having that relationship. We're actually, we're not getting curious. We're getting angry. Mm. In the anger, there's a shutdown. There is a blame. I mean, you can just look at our president, who is the, you know, the leader of all shame and blame. And what happens instead of actually addressing the problems, we're getting angry, we're quitting, we're not stepping up. And I think it's having a significant detrimental effect in society. Oh, I absolutely agree with everything that you just said there. Mm. And you know what it is to me, Robert, is that it's a, a sandbox mentality. Like we're, we're playing and as long as I can dominate the sandbox, I'm fine. But if I can't dominate the sandbox, I'm going to take my toys and go home. Mm-hmm. And that quitter mentality you know that is so unattractive to women Mm -hmm. and women don't want to take on a man's role they don't want that we're not hardwired to that we simply want to use our brains and use our skills use our talents be present and be equal you know i i always talk about three essential ingredients to have a healthy relationship and of course there are more but these three must have equality reciprocity and mutuality Mm. and if you don't have those three things any relationship workplace home any any of them uh, between adults you are not going to have a healthy relationship so here we're talking about i never wanted to be equal and if you're going to be equal then i'm not going to play And reciprocity, well, you hit me, I'll hit you back, and I'm out of here. And the mutuality is, I don't really care what you want because I'm not getting what I want. Mm -hmm. So we've got a really big issue right there. Mm -hmm. So what do we do when men withdraw? I mean, what what are we going to do? Are they going to sit back and, and expect that they get taken care of in some completely upside down cultural phenomenon? Well, there's, there's many things to be done. And the first in my belief system and the thesis of my book is that men need the opportunity and the permission and the encouragement to talk about the issues that lie inside of them. Men have what I call the double trap. One, um, they have all these things happening around them and to them. And the double trap is they're not permitted in society to speak of their ills, their angst, their fears, their challenges, or their desires. Because men are looked at as the privileged class, and they are privileged, but because they're looked at the privileged class, they're not given permission or rewarded to tell the truth. And so what they did is they push it inside, turn that anger internal, turned into depression. And without the opportunity to speak, 
to have a common forum for them to talk about what ails them, it gets internalized and then the toxic behaviors happen. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is men need to know, one, they're not alone, two, that what's happening to them is real, and three, given some outlet, other men, other women, it doesn't, whatever works for that particular person, just an opportunity to speak about their fear and from that it can transform into a better and better life. Okay. I'm for that in terms of support groups and people having great conversations and all. But let's put the the bridging piece in there. Women long for men to be emotionally intimate, Mm -hmm. to tell us when they're hurting and to be real with us because that's the only way that we know that they get what we're feeling. And so if, if men have to go elsewhere than to their partners in order to feel validated or have a conversation about their deepest feelings or their anger or their angst or whatever, um, maybe we're missing a very important piece here. What do you think? Well, I would debate one thing you said, because women want their men to be emotionally available and intimate, but not always. Well, no, certain... but neither do men want the women to be that way always. <laughs> right. So now here's the thing. So women are, t- are given permission from young ages to be connected to their emotions. Right. There's still um, ways and it's not, they're not totally free, but they have more permission to deal with their emotions. Men aren't. So to women speaking and, and the dancing with their emotions is really taught. And then they look to their men and they project the freedom they feel in their emotions to their man. Now, to a man, an emotion may feel like the most complicated math equation computer ever invented. And men aren't given the space and the time to learn how to deal with it. And then they feel pressure and there's communication breaks down. So I'm not saying anyone's doing anything wrong except giving men more space to learn to deal with this nuclear power force which is their emotional intelligence. Well, I, I agree. And I think men sometimes feel they're walking on thin ice when they start to talk about their emotions too, mm-hmm. because it's new territory for them. They're not really good at it and they're not sure if they're going to fall through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think this is a fascinating conversation because we don't want those twigs bending too far the other way mm-hmm. and everything getting into a real muddle. And I hear that there's a huge potential for that happening when we're talking about these things, because if men give up, I mean, that's a pretty big statement. Mm-hmm. And then, then where do we find them? Where mm-hmm. do the women find them? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you retrieve a man who's given up? What if he gives up in the relationship? I, you know, I've got clients all over the world, Robert, and, and And I know how women are saying, I want you to be present. I want you to be available. But I also know that we've just had this very sad pronouncement from the top of the country that suggests that the Me Too movement has frightened men that they are never safe. Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, there's a part of me as a woman who wants to say welcome to my world. Mm -hmm. Um, But but from a, a... egalitarian kind of way I mean that's absurd I mean certainly if you're behaving badly and going over anybody's boundaries whether that's walking into their house taking over their bank account or entering their body by force 
those boundaries mean something. And if you think that you now can't practice that because you'll be accused of something or that you you are walking a slippery slope all the time so there's something very strange in this dynamic that's been put out there that oh now all men are unsafe what do you think you have it's like a yes and so yes and men feel significantly more scared now than they did you know, 18 months ago or six, 15 months ago. October 2017 is when the, the Weinstein effect started. So really, it's, it's only been a year. So yes, men are significantly more scared. They're not asking women on dates. They're, they're worried about their behavior. They're worried about the impact. And I think that fear is great. <laughs> you know, I think that fear is really important because it's a wake-up call. It is yeah. a slap across the face. It is a cold shower for men to really start to get to understand the impact they've had for generations. So the patriarchy has been around since 4,000 BCE. We're talking 6,000 years, hundreds of generations with bad habits propagating from place to place. And so in one year, there's been this really cold wake-up call. Now, men have two choices. They can take the slap across their face and say, Oh, wow, new mountain to climb, new sport to learn, new fastball to hit, new video game to succeed. They could look at this and be like, oh, my God, wow, this is really challenging. But most of them are just like, you know, grumble, grumble. You know, this might, what happened to the way my dad and my grandfather were and all these previous generations, you know, wine, wine, wine. So it really is for men to take the slap, to feel the fear, to acknowledge the fear, and then say, okay. I'm here to learn. And that's what most men are doing. And that's what needs to happen on the men's side. I agree. I absolutely agree. You know, 20 years ago, a friend gave me an embroidered pillow. And I have it right up there in my office. And it says, put on your big girl panties and deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I think men need to do the same. Mm -hmm. I really do. Like if you've been pretending to be this solid, dependable, providing protecting pursuing man and all of a sudden you become this withdrawn wimp who's complaining about women our whole structure could disintegrate mm -hmm. right we could end up in a place where people are completely petrified of committing mm -hmm. um, all kinds of terrible things could happen such a valuable conversation robert because mm -hmm. There are a whole lot of people sitting out there wondering what to do about this. And we have this time together to give them some ideas. So first of all, you think that men should actually man up, take the slap across the face and become interested and they should lean into the conversation. What mm -hmm. else do you think they should do? I think, I mean, I have a, a framework for changing any habits. Uh, it's a seven step framework. And the first step of any change is confront. Confront is to see. And the slap across the face, you can easily go and rub your face and go back to your status quo. You can go back to the man cave. Or the other option is be like, huh, I wonder why I just got slapped across the face. I'm going to confront. I'm going to pull down my blinders. I'm going to lower the wall. And I'm going to see what's actually happening. Oh, women are angry. Women are really angry. Why is that? Instead of like they're bitches that they don't, you know, that's and just, they shouldn't be. Right. Okay. I'm going to confront that. 
The second step is to investigate, to do the research. There are wonderful books out there. Like I'm, I'm just read this one guy, Michael Kimmel. I'm so uh, into his book right now called Angry White Man, which really in a fair and a scientific way lays out the, the motivations for men to be angry, especially white men. Um, the third is to confront, uh, commit to a change. Mm-hmm. I'm going to commit to up-level my behavior. I'm going to commit to being more patient. I'm going to commit to listen. The fourth, fifth, and fourth and fifth is to commit is to create a practice uh, in terms of uh, going in and building a practice and coming up with a methodology that works for you. And inside of that, there's accountability. And then when you're done, is to celebrate a milestone, debrief, and then decide if you want to go through another cycle. But that first step is the confronting. The first step is just saying okay, there's something amiss in my relationship. There's something amiss in my work. There's something amiss in relationship to my daughter. What is it? How do I just see it? And that's so important instead of going back to your status quo. Okay, I want to ask a question about that because there's a a very important gap that you just identified in there because the person might not feel like there's a kind of very generalized thing that men always want to fix things, Mm -hmm. right? So you tell them, I'm always telling my couples, telling to the men, you listen to feelings, you don't fix feelings. Mm -hmm. They want to jump in and fix. So what do you think the issue is here? Why don't they want to jump in and fix? What is it that's so compellingly shocking to them that instead of trying to do what you just said, lean in and try and engage and figure out what's amiss, they go, Oh no, I don't like that very much. And they want to cover their heads. What's that about? Entitlement. Privilege. So and, that's the sandbox again. And, They're just going to take their toys and go home. Yeah. And fear. I mean, really rampant fear, fear, mm. men, no one likes rejection. Um, Men are better at rejection than women, but no one likes rejection. And so we often don't approach things that we have fear will, won't succeed at. And also when the, um, when the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same, that's when human beings move. Oh, so absolutely. when the pain of the work or the effort or the energy or the cost of the work is 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 has a return of investment has an ROI has value then people change and my perception is that men don't really yet see the value of the change i think this is going to blow over we have a president that's trying to have it blow over there's all this uh, belief that it's just going to dissipate and we'll go back to the way things were well things are not going back to the way they were mm-hmm. women are rising up it's time to wake up pull off those blinders confront and then make decisions about who you want to be, the kind of man you want to be in today's world. Yes, to all of that. And then we have the Dalai Lama saying, the hope for the world is with the Western woman. Mm-hmm. Right? So yep. there we have it from another another corner. And, you know, we're ready to take our place. We mm-hmm. are. But what we miss is that equality, that mutuality, that reciprocity, that person who has your back and stands by your side, the person who shows up at the moments when you can't. I mean, we're looking for that kind of coupling, not an up-down, superior, inferior, subordinate, superior, none of that. That's what we've been wanting for forever. You know, I've been a speaker for a long, long time, Robert, and many times on stage I say, you know, I am 
from the generation that didn't know who to believe. I didn't know who I should believe, Betty Crocker or Betty Friedan. I didn't know when I should burn a bra and when I should bake a cake. You know, <laughs> it's just so much. So we were confronted then. We had to figure it all out in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. Really get into that in the 70s. But men have not had that. They've resisted and resisted and held on to their status quo. And, you know, when we looked, for instance, you brought up politics a few times. Well, when we looked at those pictures of who was who have been deciding the future of women's reproductive health or whatever, who do we have? A room full of men. Older white men. Yeah, them. But, you know, I, I don't know if there were if they were all white. I think they probably were. But it's not about the minority or not. It's about that they were all men. Mm -hmm. Now, do I want a man to decide about my body? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if these people, these men have become so angry and aggrieved and, and their entitlement is, is being tarnished at the moment, and then they just all turn and run because they can't have what they want, we should give them all a sucker so they can go away on their own and, and sulk somewhere, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, how are we going to retrieve them? What, what, you know, I mean, I think about in my relationship, I have total equality, reciprocity, and mutuality. Mm. Uh, we could talk about anything at any time. And in fact, I remember one time my partner, I said to him, I'd like to talk about this. I said, but I know you're not, you're not in a perfect state of mind for doing it. When could, would it be a good time? He said, honey, there's never a good time to talk about something difficult. Just go for it. Mm. And that's been our, our modus operandi for all these years. But for people who don't have that kind of relationship, how can a woman broach the topic with her man to let him know he's safe, even if he has to speak about his innate and newly found anger? What do you think is a good way? Hmm. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I talked about what men need to do. And I think there's an opportunity for women. And I use the word opportunity intentionally because one podcast, I got into a very strong debate with this woman says, you're saying women need to do this. And I was like, no, I've used the word opportunity, need. And there's, so what I'm finding with women is that there's a wellspring, uh, a huge reservoir of anger. So when I would write articles, even describing what I thought was going on for men, especially around Me Too, I got flamed. I got really negative feedback because women are like, I don't even want to talk about men. I don't even want to give them the opportunity for them to have any air. I just want my time to speak my anger and have my fury and let it out. And after 17 or 20 messages of like this, I was like, I got it. I was like, oh, I got it. Women need time to off gas all the anger they've been repressing for those 6,000 years, for those hundreds of generations. So the first thing I would say to women is that there's no need, you don't have to, this is an opportunity. If you wanna create a space for your man, do it from your surplus. And if you need time in your anger and fury, I say have that first, come from a pure place. You know, don't, don't keep it inside, actively work at you know, releasing the anger of yourself and your mothers and your grandmothers and all the previous generations. And at the same time, do the work to, to let that fury out. And when you feel the surplus, then you just say to a man, 
I want you to know that it's my intention to approve of all of you, 100%. And I know you probably don't believe me. I know that men don't trust women, especially when we say things like this. I know that you probably have experiences where women say this and then use it against you. And I want to create a new form of relationship. I want to offer this to you. I just want you to know I'm going to approve of you 100%. This doesn't mean I'm going to like everything you say, but I'm going to approve of you as the person. Then in that space, you can tell me stuff and I can tell you stuff and we can be like two kids exploring in a chemistry lab rather than the antagonistic way we've been relating to this point. Beautiful. And so I want to add something to that because I concur. That's a lovely thing to do. And when you're saying, I'm going to tell you, I approve of you. What I tell people is yes, be accepting of the other human being in that sense and Mm -hmm. curious about them, but never condone or enable their negative behaviors because nobody's going to move the ball forward in that way. We can understand the negative behaviors. Now with my work in particular, Robert, You know, I work with the partners, the exes, and the adult children of relentlessly difficult people. Mm. I trademark the term hijackles for them. These Mm. are the people who are crazy-making and cause you to second-guess yourself. And they're very, very difficult to live with, uh, very difficult to be a child of. You know, and and so we have all of these things to learn. So when when we look at, you know, as you say, off-gassing our frustrations and all. It's very important for when we have a partner who happens to be in the hijackal category for us to understand that we can have compassion for how they became the person that they are, that they learned that this is a usable behavior they think is working for them. But we can have compassion for the pain that they may have gone through in order to create this, but we cannot condone or enable the behaviors because they will continue. And if they continue, then our children are watching them. If our children are watching them, there's a 50% chance that it'll be contagious. So it's very, very important for us. I love this conversation. We're going to have to do it again and continue it after the book comes out. Um, Anytime. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Really exciting things to think about. I love the way that you're approaching it and the depth. And I'm sure everybody is just really looking forward to the next time too. Mm, Thank you. Thank you so much. So if you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am, you're going to enjoy the other conversations we've had on this, on this program. And you're going to be looking forward to when Robert Kandel comes back and we continue this conversation. Now, if you want to find Robert, you're going to find it very easily because his website is robertcandell.com and that's spelled Robert K. A-N-D-E-L-L, K-A-N-D-E-L-L.com. So you want to find him, you want to look for his new book coming out, Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. (laughs) (laughs) That would be um, other men and women and children and uh, the rest of the population who are not men. Hmm. So we have had a great conversation. You want to find Robert, remember Robert Kendall. Dot com. If you want to learn more about working with me, you can find me at 4FORRelationshiphelp.com. You can go to my YouTube channel by the same name for Relationship Help. Look forward to having you here again soon and take good care until we speak the next time. 
Thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for being here for today's episode of Emotional Savvy. If you want to deepen your emotional savvy, make shifts in your relationships, and enjoy life and relationships more, work with me, Dr. Roberta Shaler. Get my books, enjoy my courses, or work with me directly. You can do that by visiting forrelationshiphelp.com, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com, and subscribe to Tips for Relationships now. Don't miss a thing. Be empowered this week with more emotional savvy.